0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from San Diego via Zoom, is my friend, Alexa Norton. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Alexa is going to talk about the death, a sudden um, tragic death of her father that occurred in 2017 at age 54? Correct. And so this will be a podcast for those of you that have had a sudden death occur in your family, a loved one that's incredibly traumatic. It's a road I don't know. I may learn that at some time. I hope I don't. But I recognize it takes a unique set of ministering skills that often comes from somebody who's walking this brutal road themselves to be able to help out and help others. So Alexa has blogged about this. We'll link to her blog in the show notes. She'll talk about it in the podcast. She'll talk about her father and the things that we can do better to help people. Um, Coincidentally, I know Alexa's husband, Coleman Kearley. He grew up in our state, served a mission to um, Washington, which is also where Alexa um, served. Coleman invited me to his wedding reception in 2017. So I got to meet Alexa and Coleman. And that wedding occurred in July of 2017, just a few months after her father, Daryl, um, tragically died. So it's good to circle back with this couple. It's been almost five years since that happened. They're a great couple and good friends. Is that okay for an introduction, Alexa? Yeah, that's perfect. So let's just have you start telling your story about losing your dad or wherever you want to start.
1: Yeah, um... So something I, that has, I guess, been on my mind to a lot of sharing your story, whatever your story might be, with different things you go through. So mine is obviously grief and losing my dad. I think it's super interesting. I just wanted to kind of start with this, how each time or whenever I do share tidbits or my story, I share different details. And I always find that very interesting of things that... Um, come to my mind or things that I didn't recognize in the past, but now I recognize now. And so you learn so much, the more you share, even if it's really hard. And I, I have different emotions each time that I share it depending on the setting or the person. And so there's moments when I know I might not get super emotional or I might be super emotional. And that doesn't mean I'm You know, super happy about this, but I just am able to share it. So, I kind of wanted to start with that.
0: I love that. Um,
1: But that's for everyone who shares their story. You know, I think I hear or I listen to podcasts, and I think, oh wow, like, but they seem like they're okay, but deep down, there's still that part of them that has this really hard thing that they're going through. So, yeah, just kind of leading with that. So um, I'll share how I lost my dad and kind of my story, my perspective, and then go from there. So, um, actually I'll start with Coleman. Coleman and I got engaged in March and obviously my life wasn't perfect, but I felt like I was doing like all these awesome things. We were preparing to get married. I felt like I was finishing up school. I wasn't finishing up, but I was finishing up a semester and I kind of was on track with where I wanted to be at in my life. And we were looking for a place to live. And I was living with my mom and dad at the time. Um, and I was the last one. All my sisters had moved out. And I was just ready to start a new phase of life. And I was really excited and um, Coleman had actually gone out of town for, a, a school trip where he was going to be in England for two weeks. So he was going to be building a bike, actually like welding a bike. That was part of his program. And my dad, I remember he was so excited. My dad has always loved traveling. And I think a lot of people love traveling, but my dad actually worked for Delta airlines, just so he, like he cleaned airplanes just so he could fly standby for free (laughs) because that was always a love of his. So he would sometimes come home and randomly say like, Hey, I need you to take me to the airport. Cause like, I want to go to Peru tomorrow. I'm like, okay, you can't just up and leave your life and do these things. But that was what he loved. And he loved doing solo trips and he felt really nourished by doing those things. Um, so anyway, my life felt like pretty great and I felt like I was pretty happy and I got home. I was actually babysitting a neighbor at the time. I was babysitting her kids and I woke up that morning, went to work at work. I just went over to her house and took care of her kids for a couple hours and I came home and I knew I had a couple, I had like one more assignment I had to finish for school until my, was my last assignment for the semester. So I wanted to get that done. And then I wanted to immediately just kind of dive into wedding planning because I felt like we had so much to do. And I pulled up to my house and no one was home. My dad had gone skiing and my mom was going to meet him up there because he left earlier, but she was going to meet him up at Snowbird. And so I pulled up into my driveway And on the side of my house, there's, we can go to our backyard and there was two police officers like looking over my fence. And so I was automatically on guard, like what is happening? Is there someone like trying to break into my house? But it was daytime. So I wasn't really nervous. And obviously there's officers, so they're going to protect me. Right. So I pulled up and then they said like, Hey, actually, um, we're looking for, I think they said, Carl, I can't remember. They didn't say my dad's name and they didn't say my my mom's name. I think they combined the two names. I said, oh, no one lives here by that name. I was a little bit sassy, I think, because like, please leave, I don't want you here. They're like, actually, is it Carla? We're looking to talk to Carla. I was like, oh, that's my mom, but she's not here. And they said, okay, well, um, can you give her a call? And I was like, okay, so I called my mom and like, I asked him like, well, what do you, what do you need to know? Like, what is going on? And they're like, we can't tell, like, we can't let you know, but we just need to talk to your mom. And I look back on that and I think, um, it's so funny because I actually think my dad was like trying to protect me <laughs> Because I really thought in my head, oh, no, my dad got into a fight with someone on the mountain and he probably punched a snowboarder because he really didn't like snowboarders. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, he got into a fight and he probably has to go down to, like, do something. And so I was like, oh, my dad is so embarrassing. But I look back and I think he probably was trying to protect me. Um so I called my mom and my mom answered and she was driving up the canyon. And she said, wait, what, they, what do they need? He said, well, they just want to talk to you, but they're not giving me any details. Like, I don't know, mom, it's really weird. So I gave the phone to my mom and they told her that she needed to meet with like the police up the canyon. And so I honestly... Really thought what I had just said that my dad got into a fight. So I wasn't really that nervous. I was just like, oh boy, this is going to be a story for the books. Like, we're going to remember this story. It's going to be so funny. Like, we'll look back on it. So I went about my day. I honestly went about my day. I didn't call my mom. I went and did a workout. I got ready for the day. I started, I did my assignment. I ate food. (laughs) And I was just at home all by myself and for some reason I didn't call my mom. Like I didn't call in to check on her. I just like went about my day. And I I think about probably two hours later, I was sitting in my house and I heard the door open and I was waiting for my, my dad's very loud personality, very like well known, you know, just likes to make it known. And I didn't hear his voice. And I think at that moment I because I didn't hear him, it was super silent. And my mom walked around the corner in our house and we kind of locked eyes and she didn't say a word, but I knew that I wasn't going to see my dad again. And I think that was really hard. And so then my mom told me everything that had happened. And it's really interesting how grief brings you to your knees because we just immediately fell to our knees. And she said like, yeah, your dad, he's actually gone. I didn't get to see him. They said he was skiing and he hit a lip and he broke his neck or something had happened because we hadn't gotten the autopsy yet. But it was so hard to wrap my brain around that idea of never seeing someone again. I think, you know, um, what's, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? Who saw him? Where is he now? You know, obviously there was still a body. So I was so, I had so many questions, but I didn't want to bombard my mom because I knew she had been through the ringer as well. And everything happened so fast from She had to call each of my sisters and tell them over the phone. That's what she had decided to do. They kind of told her. So she went up to Snowbird. They told her up there. They took her into a room. And um, sorry, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. You're doing good. But I guess my dad had gone skiing. My dad had suffered from a lot of neck pain from whenever, when I was younger as well, he'd been in a, Car accident. I kind of said that in my little blog post. But he had had a really bad neck pain. And he would always tell me, okay, so when when I go skiing, it's it allows me to feel free, which I never understood. I'm like, how do you what do you mean that allows you to feel free? He's like, it's when my neck isn't in so much pain. My dad had a hard time turning his neck to look at us sometimes if he slept on his neck wrong. <laughs> my dad was an experienced skier. So I have to give him credit. He liked going fast and he liked going skiing obviously, but I guess he hit a bad icy patch. It's spring skiing and he broke his neck. And so he actually died instantly. That's what the autopsy had come back and shown us. Yeah. So talk about, you know, like changing your life and really trying to Understand death and how it can happen so fast. And I had heard stories of this happening to other people. And I always thought, wow, that must be so hard. Like, I can never imagine. I can never imagine that happening to me. And it's even weird to share my story. You know, it almost feels like an out of body experience that I shared my story because I still can't believe it's happened. To me, and not just me, but I still can't believe this happens to anyone, and that they have to experience such deep pain and such deep sorrow of losing someone you love. I do believe that I'll see my dad again, but that's—it's still hard to go through that grief. That doesn't make it easier; it just makes it bearable. I think for me. But my mom called all my sisters and that was really hard to hear each reaction, I think, over the phone and to watch my mom do that. But my mom is really an amazing person. And luckily we lived, all of us lived within, I think, 10 to 12 minutes away from each other. And so we were all together within 15 minutes of everyone at my house to, I don't even know, like, what are you going to do, but you're just together. And that's what you need because you need support and you need to just be in a room together to, to try to understand what has just happened in your life. So that happened really fast. And I think we were in a bubble for a little bit where we didn't want it to be our reality. And it's crazy because my one of my brother-in-laws, he said, I, I don't wanna have to say this, but I think you guys need to start telling people really soon because there's actually an article already written about that some a man in Mill Creek, Utah had died on in snow at Snowbird that day. <laughs> and so word travels really fast. And so you had, we had to start telling people really fast. And I think for me, I didn't want to tell people because I obviously didn't want it to be a real thing. So people, you know, gather around you. And I, I think that's crazy how fast that happens of the amount of bread we had at our house within a day (laughs) was insane. We had so much food and we had so much water of just like, liquids, um, and obviously a lot of love and a lot of support. And it, it kind of was a blurry day for me and I'm really grateful. I don't have to do that ever again.
0: (laughs) Doing a great job of sharing your story and just taking us into these really tender, tragic, traumatic first hours of this. Um,
1: Yeah, I guess I am emotional today.
0: I think that's a good thing. I'm, I'm looking at here, a picture of your dad on your blog poster will link to your blog. So you can see family pictures. You can see your dad, you um, know, mm-hmm. just in the prime of his life, doing what he loved and just this unbelievable news happening. <laughs> yeah. So keep just sharing your story, um, what you're learning, what happened, just wherever you want to continue to pick up.
1: Yeah. Um, Obviously, I've learned a lot, but a couple of my bullet points from an outline. um, I've really learned that my relationships with people are the most important. And I have to remember that because life happens and life gets in the way and little things will still bother me and I'll get angry. But at the end of the day, it's not worth it. So backtracking, my dad and I, had a good relationship, but we had to really work on our relationship because sometimes he would bug me and that's okay. (laughs) And I think I would bug him sometimes too. Um, so our relationship was not perfect and that's okay. I'm totally okay with that, but we really worked on it. Um, the night before I remember I got home from work and my mom and dad were there and, It's so silly. I don't even know why I made this because I don't make this a lot, but I made tapioca pudding (laughs) because it sounded really delicious at the time and I was so excited. So I made this tapioca pudding. My dad really liked like rice pudding and tapioca pudding. And if you're familiar with tapioca pudding, you have to make it on the stove and then it's really nice if it sits in the fridge for a little bit and gets kind of cold. And I did that. And I went on a walk with one of my friends. And I, I came back home. And my dad had eaten like half of my tapioca pudding. And so I kind of yelled at him. And he kind of yelled back at me. And we went to bed, kind of in a fight, but not a huge fight. Um, but the next morning, I remember my mom said, well, just so you know, my mom and I went on a walk. She said, I talked to dad and he, I told him that you were sorry. And he's going to apologize because he's sorry too for the way he acted. It's great. Um, We obviously never got to have that in person, but I know we were both sorry. Um, But there's little things, right. That happen in our life that get in the way. And relationships at the end of the day are the most important to me
0: i love that and i love um sometimes we define our you've had you know you were in your 20s when your father died so that's two decades and maybe pre-earth life and so i think sometimes we when someone dies suddenly we define our relationship by the very last interaction interaction or the difficult things that happen in a relationship and i think like you're teaching us to do is to define um, the overall totality of that relationship. Cause I think that's the way you would want us to find them on the other side. I think your dad would be laughing a little bit about this last night together and would not in any way want you to feel bad. And so I think, you know, sometimes we just define our, our relationship. If somebody goes by the last interaction, if that's not a good interaction, then sometimes that can add for burdens of years that I don't think either anybody should feel.
1: Yeah. I think movies teach us too. like, we should feel remorse if there was some big fight. I don't know. I think that like, Oh, you know, you've seen it in the movies in Hollywood or whatever. Um, and my gut reaction, I remember when I heard that he had, he had died was, Oh my gosh, our last interaction was like not the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Immediately I was like, but there have been so many great interactions that we've had. And like, let's not let that be the last memory that I ever have of him. But now I look back and I think it's a funny memory because it shows who we truly are, you know, that we're trying, even though we let these things get in the way of me getting mad at him and him getting mad back at me. But at the end of the day, we were both sorry. I love that. Didn't actually mean that, you know.
0: Keep sharing this with what you've learned. This is hopeful.
1: Yeah. um, I think I've learned too, allowing myself to be sad and allowing myself to feel every emotion I've felt and to go through the process in my own way. There's no linear grief expectations of, so you'll feel this and then you'll feel this and then you'll feel this and then full circle where i'm like it is a roller coaster of every day i obviously i miss my dad every day and i i remember stories of him every day and i have a running google doc of you know things that pop into my mind when i'm because i think we forget things really easily but i want to remember oh when he would um you know, walk into the house and he, w- he would stop, stomp really loud and how he sneezed really loud and it bothered me. But now I think it's f- so funny. But there's always memories you can remember and it's important to write those down so that you can look back and remember the good and the bad and the funny and everything that they were to you and everything that they still are.
0: I love that. I couple things I really love there is, you some i'm sort of an analytical guy so i hear these stages of grief and i think you're helping us understand it's not quite that linear you go between stages and at some stage you may be back you know this is five years and i think you're you know i think you're saying i'll be back to stage one sometimes i'll feel yeah the same feelings i felt in may of 2017 today in 2022 and it doesn't and so it's not always just like this nice little check box phase is done and now i'm And maybe some of us that aren't walking your road want it to be done for you. We, maybe rightly so, we want you to be able to heal and move forward. But maybe our best job as we're ministering and helping you is give you permission to have it be kind of messy and go through these stages and not sort of prescribe for you what we think is your best path forward or wanting to put this behind you. Because in some ways, you don't want it behind you. You don't want to um, forget your dad, Daryl. Am I saying his name right? Daryl or Daryl? Daryl. All right. And I love the Google doc document. I just think that that is going to, your kids and grandkids are going to read the content. It may not be a Google doc at that point, right. they put it into something, but what a cool way to, to just all these memories you have of him that your kids and your grandkids will read. And I have to think he's aware of that Google doc And is glad that these things he's. I have to think he smiles when he reads and is aware of the thoughts you're writing down, and that those will be part of his legacy that continues. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah, because it's so interesting how when where whatever you're doing, there's certain things that come into your mind, and so it's for me sometimes at the not the most convenient times, you know, when I think of memories, but I have to jot them down, and that's the easiest way for me to do it. So then I have them in one page. Um, yeah, but I think going back to how grief is not stages, I'm a checklist type of person. I think a lot of people are that way too. You know, we like to write out a to-do list and we like to check it off. And unfortunately that's not how grief is. It's not a checklist. So it's always with you and you have to manage it. And, um, I just recently learned, and it's so funny, the things that I learned, it's been five years, but I just recently came across something where there's a known person in the grieving world. Her name's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she talks about death and dying. In her whole life, she studied death. So she worked with a lot of patients who were dying and she wrote the stages of grief. So the five stages of grief, grief, which is like anger, denial, you know, (laughs) um but she actually wrote those for people who were dying not for people who were grieving interesting and we if you look up like stages of grief that's what people think like oh, okay I'll, I'll have to go through these oh there's a stage that's missing but it's like totally taken out of context because she actually meant for that to be for people who were about to die they were on their deathbed and they were feeling all these feelings of like they knew they were dying and so they were going through all these feelings. So that's something interesting for me. Um a lot of other things I've learned, you know, um you can't compare your grief to someone else's grief. Your grief is your grief and it's hard for you and that's okay. You know, someone else might be grieving something in a different way. So I I read something towards the beginning of the pandemic that talked about all these people who were these brides that had been looking forward to their wedding day since they were little girls, right? You dream of your wedding day ever since you were little and people were engaged and then they had to either push back their weddings or they got married in a different way than they ever imagined because they couldn't have people come to their weddings or it was a very short ceremony, like a small ceremony. And that is grief because they grieve what it could have been. Same with people that were, you know, their senior year of high school, they didn't get their senior year of high school and they never get it back. And I can't compare losing my dad to them because for them in that moment, that's the hardest thing that they've been through. And for me, this is one of the hardest things I've been through, but their grief is just as valid as mine is. There's
0: a lot of grace in that, Alexa. Um, that's a really wonderful segment. And I love the way you give permission to have people to have in some ways, the same type of grief you have, even though society wouldn't rank them the same way. Cause I think then they may feel guilty for feeling grief about their graduation because they recognize all these other much more painful stories and they feel shame yeah. for permission to grieve. And I think what you've said there just gives everybody permission to grieve. It's part of mortality and and not rank that and not sort of say, and you didn't say this, but sort of this has been my path forward with that type of grief. This should be your path forward with that type of grief. Um, just let everybody sort of walk their own journey and how they're managing traumatic events.
1: Yeah. It's taken me a couple of years I think to get that down. It didn't just come like, Oh, my grief is hard. You know, for a while I was like, well, I've, I'm going through a hard thing so no one understands, but I think the, the more I do that, the better relationships I have with other people. So you can't say like, Oh, I can't say anything. Cause mine doesn't top yours. Well, of course, because everyone has a different journey, right? Everyone has different trials and everyone has different things that they're dealing with, but everyone has something hard. That's what I believe. Everyone is fighting a battle. And if we can just open up and be there for each other, then your relationships are going to be that much better. Hey, this is really hard for me. Let me tell you why. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. You know, it allows someone else to be there for you in ways that they wouldn't be able to, unless you were able to open up to them. Love that. Yeah. Um. Sorry, do you want me to keep going?
0: Yes, please.
1: <laughs> I think one thing, I mean, this might be going off of what, something opposite what we're saying, but you can find something that was really healing for me was finding people that did relate to me. I got a text message actually from someone in my neighborhood that goes to my same church. So in my ward, and I guess I had never realized it, but she had lost her mom when she was I think around my age and now she has four kids, you know, she was well on with her life, but she lost her mom and her sister. And she texted me something, you know, just very simple, like, Hey, I just want you to know I, I lost my mom. And I'm here for you in ways that you need. And just by her saying that, I remember that gut reaction of me thinking, oh my goodness, she is alive right now. Because I felt like life was being taken from me. I felt so dark and so heavy and just like I didn't want to go on. But because she, I could look at her And she was, you know, 15 years ahead of me. And I could say, oh my goodness, like she's alive. She's alive. Like she is living her life, even though she has experienced very similar pain that I have. And that gave me so much hope. Like, okay, I can live. I can survive. And I can live, not just survive, but I'll be able to live and one day have a family, even though it'll be hard, you know, I can do those things. So that was really something that was like pivotal in my grief journey was finding people that could relate to me in a way that I couldn't find anywhere else.
0: That's interesting to me, Alexa, because I, I get the relating to, but it's actually what that person did for you is gave you hope Yeah, that you were in such a dark, hopeless space that That And you recognize she was alive. I like the word you use, they're alive. Yeah. It helps me understand just what a, logically so, what a dark place you're in. And and the gift she gave you is just hope that you can continue to be alive. And she's been on this road. And so I love finding community with people that are walking the same road. And that's obviously what you're doing now with um, your work in this space.
1: Yeah. And I, she probably has no idea that that text meant that much to me it was just a text message you know and obviously she did a lot more we would go on walks and um she would bring things over but it was just that text message that gave me that hope that you're talking about and so it's really interesting to me how much we can be that force for good in other people's lives and how scary it can be even for me at this time um to have other people in my life that go through similar things that I've been through. I find myself in this battle of well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to fix that. Well, guess what? You're never going to fix their problem because some of it is not fixable. I I want my dad back. I can't have my dad back. But we can be there for each other and the the simplest things made a difference for me I remember people that would just reach out and say hey I don't know what to say but I just want you to know I'm thinking of you period that was it like that was the end of it and I remember all the people that reached out to me that I hadn't talked to in probably you know three to five years just people from high school that wrote me a card that meant so much. And it was such a simple act. It's the simplest things that we can do for people who are going through hard things, but we get stuck and we think, well, if I I say the wrong thing, like I can't do it. Like I can't go over there and help them or I can't text them. Yes, you can. You can just say like, I don't know what to say, but I love you. Period. That's it. Love that. So a simple text goes a long way. We don't have to do extravagant things, I think, for people. I mean, obviously people did extravagant things for us, bringing us soup, and that doesn't go unnoticed either. But just the simplest things go a long way.
0: That's good. Um, I like that. And I like the way there's no need for you to respond. I would guess that you're overwhelmed with inbound communication. So some of that communication probably is nice. You don't need to respond. It doesn't require a, how are you doing? What can I do to help there? Maybe some of that's good. And certainly I don't want to say that's not good, but some, what you just described didn't require you to respond. Yeah. Maybe with the overwhelming inbound communication during those first weeks, it's nice to just read those messages and not feel like you need to respond. And it may be hard to respond to an open-ended question. How are you doing? (laughs) You can't just say a one-word answer. If you're really going to answer that, you can't. So maybe what people did there is just a very helpful thing.
1: Yeah. But people have the best intentions, right? Exactly. I think they really do. They have the best intentions. And sometimes we don't know what to say, but there were even messages. And this meant so much to me too. Please don't respond, but just want you to know. I'm like, okay. Because I want people to feel validated, but just please don't respond to this. Like you don't need to respond to me, but I love you. That's
0: it. Why did you like it when they said please don't respond? Just I think all our listeners generally know that, but why did that's an interesting to put in a text and um, why did Um, that why was that helpful?
1: I think, like you said, I didn't have the pressure to be okay. I think people. And I would say this about myself, I'm a really um bubbly person. I like to consider myself like really happy when I walk into your room, and I like to make other f- people feel comfortable and happy and laugh like that's just my goal. I want people to feel happy and so I felt like that had been taken from me, and I didn't have that sight I didn't have that light for a a second in my life, and so I I wanted to respond to people to make them feel validated, but if they said, please don't respond, I didn't feel that pressure of, okay, they still know who I am and they, they're they going to be okay if I don't respond. Not everyone needs a response. Love that. And they're okay with that, you know?
0: I love that. So, And I've even thought about, I don't want to tamper taking food over because that's often... Really helpful, but we know how to do that. And I've always thought there is—you've got to return everything and write a note. <laughs> so my wife is often taking, and maybe this should be my job as the man. We're often taking when we take food, we try to take it in containers that don't need to be returned. Um, yeah. And so there's just not this sort of added burden of like keeping track of everything and writing thank you notes and returning the actual stuff with a note. I I don't know, listeners. I don't want to be too shut down that kind of service and make you wonder, is this actually helpful? Just thoughts that have come into my mind. Yeah. Because you do need to be fed and it feels good to be loved that way. And a lot of people know how to do that kind of service.
1: Yeah. I know my mom, I was actually just back in Utah last week for a work trip, but also let us spend time with my family. And my mom even said that she said, do you remember that soup that so-and-so brought? I said, yeah. She's like, wasn't that so nice? Like, we still talk about that, you know? She's like, because that was like the only thing I felt like I could eat at that time was soup, you know?
0: Why soup?
1: I don't know. We tried to talk about that. I told her, I was like, why do you think that was? And she's like, I think maybe, you know, you don't have a huge appetite. At least we didn't have a huge appetite. And so I think it's easier to eat Because it doesn't seem as heavy. Interesting. And my mom always remembers this. She said, I think someone brought us a case of water bottles. So silly, right? Like just so simple. But she said, that always reminded me to drink water. Like the simplest tasks become so hard. Drinking water, like you just forget. But because we had plastic water bottles, we had to drink them. You know, we saw them, okay, we
0: got to have a drink. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, certainly people delivering food to people in crisis is blessed a lot of people's lives. So I think both of us are saying that's a good thing. Yeah. Just act on your impressions and the best way to do that. I yeah. I love the soup. I love that five years later, you and your mom just had a conversation about soup.
1: I'm not that, kidding. Yeah, we still talk about it.
0: So that's great. <laughs> Keep sharing more of the story.
1: Yeah. um, What else? Memories are really fun to hear. And so if you have someone that you know they've lost someone and you have a memory of them because you've met them, I think sharing it is so awesome. There are things that all of a sudden didn't mean something to me and now they mean so much. You know, so I love asking people for memories of my dad or when they just say, hey, can I tell you a story about your dad that, you know, I interacted with him and he did this I'm like, please. Yeah. Cause obviously I wasn't there. So I don't know. And when someone dies, here's my tip, try to focus on relationships now and focus on who people are now, because when they die, you, you crave that and you crave to know all of a sudden so much more about the person they were and the person they were becoming. And I love hearing those stories that people had interactions with my dad, whether they be profound or just silly, they have so much meaning to them. I love that. Yeah.
0: I'm just going to let you keep talking. Alexa, (laughs) you're doing a great job.
1: Um. So one thing I feel really lucky to have the experience and to still experience is I get to have a lot of dreams about my dad. And I think that's a big blessing that I have. I know not everyone gets that and I don't know why I have been honored with that. Um, and sometimes they're super, he's just there in my dream, but I've had a lot of you know, deep and meaningful dreams. And I will share one of them because I do find them to be very sacred and personal to me. And um, one thing I do is I actually have two books, two journals, I guess you can say in my life. I I have my journal and then I have a grief journal that I write letters to my dad. I just get everything out, all my emotions. And then I have a journal where I keep track of just the dreams I have about my dad. And I feel because I do that, I can have more dreams because I try to look back on them and focus on the dreams I've had of my dad. Um, But this one has, I think the most impact on me because it was the night that we went to bed after he had passed away. And for people who have experienced death, it's really hard to sleep. It is very challenging and I don't know why, but you just, you can't sleep. And that's the only thing you want to do is you just want to sleep because you're so tired emotionally and physically and everything is drained from you. Um, But like I said, so I was the only one living at home and my family all left. And so it was just my mom and I in our house and we live in Mill Creek and we don't live in a a big house, but it felt empty. And I've always been, I, I feel like I slept with my parents at a young age. Like I would go into their bedroom and try to sleep with them because I was always scared of sleeping for some reason. That's always been my issue in my life. But, um, I wanted to sleep with my mom that night because I didn't want her to be alone. And I think I look back, I was really focused on, I don't want you to feel like you're alone. Like I want to be with you. But I think I really needed that way more than she did. I needed the comfort and I needed to be with my mom. So I fell asleep, luckily. And I woke up, but I was still dreaming. And I, you know, those dreams that you have when you wake up in the position you fell asleep in. So it feels really real. I don't know if anyone has experienced that, but I think we have. And I woke up, so to say, but I was still dreaming. And I, I walked out of my, my parents' bedroom into like our living room area. And my dad was sitting on a chair And he was wearing all denim, which was, I don't know. He never wore all denim, but he had denim jeans on and a Levi top on, like this long sleeve shirt. And he was staring kind of at our TV. The TV wasn't on. I just want to paint the picture for everyone. But he was also looking outside and I was observing him. And I remember my gut reaction was, oh good! like he's not dead. Like he's not passed away. Like, oh my goodness. Okay. That's a big relief. You know, like he's alive. Okay. I feel so much better now. And I saw my mom walk by. And I got to experience all these cute things my parents would do, you know, because they were excited to be empty nesters. But I watched my mom kind of walk past him and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, isn't your mom so beautiful? She is so beautiful, right? I was like, I know she is. Yeah, she is very beautiful. And then for some reason I came to in my dream and I realized, oh, wait, this is a dream this is a dream. He actually did pass away. So I quickly moved and I got really close to him and I actually, he was still sitting in his chair and I kneeled down and I said, Hey, listen, um, you've actually passed away and we're really scared. Like we are really scared and you've kind of left us. Cause that's how I felt at the moment. Hey, you've left us, you've gone, you've left us and we don't know what to do. And I don't know. I, I look back at this dream cause then he kind of grabbed my face, which he never did that, but he kind of grabbed my face like a child would, like you would to a child. And he said, Oh no, I have I've not left you. You've left me. And I woke up. And so to me, that has deep meaning because that means we have so much more to live for. That he is somewhere else. You know, whatever it is that you might believe in. But for me, I believe he is in a, a different world in a in a spirit world where one day we will see him. And maybe we did leave him because this is not the end. This life is not the end. So that has deep significance for me.
0: I I on behalf of all of our guests thanks for sharing that dream that's a really tender personal beautiful experience yeah and um uh, I love the idea that you're journaling about these dreams and I've heard other people talk potentially that as they kind of work in this space it's like a spiritual gift it kind of opens up that channel a little bit yeah and some people maybe that just never happens for them they never have a dream about a loved one that's lost and I would't yeah. I don't think either of us are inviting you to feel bad about that or feel you need to do something different but I do like where for you this is a something that's happening and I love the way you're kind of working there's not a with your journal and just keeping this channel going so you continue to have these dreams.
1: Yeah, like I said, I feel really lucky that I get to have these dreams, you know, because I I do know that not everyone gets to have them, but I think sharing them too is part of the reason that I feel blessed, you know, and that I, I think some of us can have that same
0: experience. Talk about, um, I think it's an Instagram account you started called Grief Shine.
1: Yeah. So I... Yes, we can kind of talk about this. So I started this account in on May 3rd, which is the anniversary of my dad's passing. So this is a day that has a lot of significance, obviously, to me. So I started it three years after. And honestly, I think for a long time, I had wanted to start my own Instagram account, mostly because I wanted to show who I truly am. And I combined the two words. So like I said, I consider myself a very bubbly person and I want to be full of sunshine. And I think the world can be so beautiful and so happy, but there are two parts to me. And that is where grief shine kind of comes from, where there's two things inside of me where I I mourn and I miss my dad and I'm sad. Because I miss out on, you know, those opportunities that I would have had with him. But there's still that side of me that I am so incredibly grateful and happy. And I have to make the choice each day to be happy. But it's okay that there's a part of me that's sad. And that's who I am now. So I kind of started that just to share who I was, I guess, and who I am to to people because I wanted to share my experiences and how I viewed grief. And now it's kind of a little bit evolved where I have this different community on a different social platform that I didn't intend for, but I am so grateful for because like I said, you need to find your people that are understanding of what you're going through and it has been beautiful for me to see oh my gosh yeah they totally get it like they understand they I get that I've been through that or yes yes so
0: I love that you're doing this and the blog that I printed out would I be would listeners be able to get to that through your Instagram account
1: yeah I wrote my whole story kind of in depth I kind of shared it but I wrote it in depth um, and it's just on my Instagram you can kind of click on the link and then you'll find the story
0: it's a great story. Um, a few questions for you as I thinking about your story. You've done such a great job. Um, talk about that night, and you talk about this in your blog, where your mother had to kind of keep retelling the story, and maybe how that was difficult. Talk oh, yeah. about. So let's say I'm in your neighborhood. I'm in your ward. I'm a close family, so it would make sense that I come over. Not close family, but friend. And let just talk to people that are stopping by in those first 24 hours, the things the things that they can say that are helpful and the things that perhaps aren't helpful.
1: That's a good question. Um, I think everyone is curious, because of curiosity. We're all curious how what happened, what's going on, and we want to know. Um, I heard my mom tell the story so many times that I It was, I didn't want it to become mundane for her, but I could just see in her physical appearance, like, oh, she is draining, like she is done. Like she needs to be done telling the story, but people have the best intentions, right? So I think maybe um, you can still go over and you can still be there for someone. Uh, You might not need to ask all the questions at once but just hugging, giving someone a hug and giving them food. And having people in our home was really comforting. And so there are some people that just hung around and maybe they felt uncomfortable, but I don't know. Just having them on our couch felt nice. Interesting. Just talking to us about things, like just about life. Because you try to focus in that moment, you're so stuck on my life is over. Okay. I'm never going to do this again. Okay. But I think someone asked me a question about like, okay, so how can I help you with your wedding? Like, what do you need? And you know, where's Coleman? Cause Coleman was out of town. So asking us other questions was Were really those
0: good questions to ask you.
1: I felt like, but everyone's different. Right. Okay. But that was really comforting. And We like to go over the first week or the first two weeks or the first month. But like you said, kind of at the beginning, and this is just because of human nature, we want people to be okay. I want people to be happy. I have already said that. But realizing that they're never going to be fully okay is okay. And you need to check back in on them in three months, in six months, at the year mark, I have people that text me on May 3rd, and that means the world.
0: That's cool.
1: That they remember. So it's not that's...
0: traumatizing you. You already know it's May 3rd. It doesn't reach. I already know.
1: You. I know the but day. You... I relive that day all the time, right?
0: That's interesting.
1: Hey, I'm thinking of your dad and you today. Love you.
0: Heart. I'm thinking of your dad today. Yeah. And you.
1: That means so much. And it's the simplest thing to remember that date. But going far beyond just the day of you checking on them, there's a lot of pain that you experience at that year mark, at Christmas, on your birthday, anniversary, you know, of my parents. There's so many days that have a lot of other meaning that when people reach out and say those things, I am so grateful and it makes me want to be better about the other people in my life. I think, oh, dang, I never did that for so-and-so, but I can do that now.
0: I like that. And some of my prior listeners have taught me about platitudes, that sometimes we say something that it really just keeps me emotionally safe, but it doesn't really help
1: Yeah, that's such a good way to put it.
0: If I said something, well, your dad's needed on the other side, and he's a missionary over there, and listeners and (laughs) Alexa's cringing, right? So that really may help me, but I think it dismisses the complexity of your situation. And, um,
1: but they talk, mean well. And that's why I can't be mad because I know they mean well.
0: You have a lot of grace, Alexa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. Do you it you want was to really talk hard. about
0: any of these platitudes. I just offered up of one that he's, you know, God called him home because he's needed more on the other side. Oh, and
1: I, yeah. He was in a lot of pain. Are you happy that he's not in pain?
0: Yeah, keep going. Any others that are um, triggering or painful?
1: <laughs> I can do another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But people who say, this is the most simple thing to say, how are you today? Not just how are you, how are you today? How's today? Because every you're, you are living day by day when you go through something similar to this or in any type of hard thing. It's a day-to-day thing.
0: Um, I love that you brought your mom's Carla story into this and... It's your story you've shared together and your whole family story. Talk about, um, this is sort of the complexities of this. We go to church and we hear lots of stories of people that are saved. There's lots of people that have been skiing and been in very difficult accidents that are alive. And your father's fit. He's a good skier. He's not doing something out of his element. It would be a very natural thing. You're not worried about him. And he dies instantaneously. And how do you reconcile that where there's this loving God and some people are spared and your father wasn't? And just the context of this this is your wedding year. This is like,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, I don't want to remind you, no, it's how, okay. but you're going to be walked down the aisle so, figuratively by your father in yeah. this beautiful moment that he's looking forward to and you're looking forward to. You're engaged and it happens during this beautiful time of your life. Um, and he's not spared. So there's probably listeners that are walking a road asking those questions and don't know what the answer is. what? And you may not know what the answer is, but I know you've <laughs> asked the question and may have some feelings on it, so I'll just let you go with that.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I think, like I said, people have the best intentions, right? I don't think people mean harm, but there are triggering, Good. statements or things that do trigger me. And I think I mean here I am right. This is year five. and so I've I have a long ways to go, but I've I have come a long way. and so shortly after it was really hard. Um, Daddy-daughter dances. Uh-huh. I leave the room. You know, because that's what I've decided. I've decided there, and my mom said this really shortly after she learned this, but she said, there are going to be experiences throughout the rest of our life now where we have to push ourselves to do it. Or we can choose to protect ourselves and both are good options.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. So I'm in a room at a wedding and the daddy daughter dance comes on. I have chosen to protect myself. And so I will slowly leave the room because that works for me. You know, um, someone says something that might be triggering. Okay, I can respond or I can realize they don't know my story. So they don't mean harm. Or I posted this the other day on my Instagram. I remember I was getting my hair cut and someone said, so what does your dad do for a living? Um, I just lied to that person. I was like, Oh, he's, I like made up some job that he did
0: Awesome. because
1: it wasn't the time for me to share it. And I didn't know her. And so I protected myself. <laughs> so I think sometimes we push ourselves and sometimes we protect ourselves and both are good options.
0: I love that. I love the way you're owning this and giving yourself permission to have boundaries. I like the word protect yourself and this wounded heart that as you connect with society again and move forward, you're going to get triggered. Yeah, you will. And those arrows go back through your heart. And so I love that. I think that's a sign of strength. I don't think it's a sign of weakness to protect yourself. I think it's really quite terrific. Talk about this idea of it's sort of a 40,000 foot religious question. You know, why... Do you have any answers or any thoughts for others that are asking this $40,000 question? Why is your dad, why was your dad not protected and other dads were?
1: Okay, that is so good because I remember one of my sisters, um, a couple months after my dad passed away, she said, I need to tell you something like, okay am I evil if I see an old guy and he's still alive? And I think, why are you alive? And my dad's not. I like that. (laughs) And it made me laugh and it felt good to laugh. And I said, no, because I think the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I think being honest with your feelings, right? First of, yeah, why did my dad have to leave us? And their dad did it. Like, why is he alive or why is she alive? And my dad is gone. I wish I had an answer, but I don't. But there are certain things that give me, um, I guess, more meaning and understanding. And for me, it's when I study about my dad and I really try to understand who he was and the the things he was going through that I never fully grasped when he was alive. And it's okay that that makes me sad, you know, but I guess I never fully understood how much pain he was in with that. My dad had a hard childhood. I won't go into it, but my dad just had a really hard childhood. And the other day actually to answer your question, the $40,000 question is I don't know when my dad had to die, but I know that it gives me peace when I learn that he was in pain. And I believe now that he is living to his full potential, that he was never able to live here on earth to his full potential because of the natural things that get in the way
0: it's a really honest answer. It's a yeah, tr- just a terrific I, answer. And I,
1: yeah. And I, I love think you it's and hard your s-
0: sister no. sort of saying what you when you see older people that are alive, And I think that's just honest. You shared that and you two opened <laughs> up about it. I think it's the reality of your situation. And I think we want to have an qu- answer to everything. And, yeah. and I've learned to try to listen to people walking the road and hear their answers because... You didn't really have an answer to that question, and I think that's a good answer, actually. It's just incredibly complex, and we don't know. And sometimes, the back to the platitudes, I, from an outsider, want to give a sort of an answer that dismisses the comp- complexity of the reality of your situation. Yeah, my dad, I'm 60, so I'm like as old as your father. I'm your father's age, and my dad's 91, and my mom's 89. And so, right. you know, I mean... It, uh, more, I don't, I don't know, listeners. I mean, mortality is just not fair. Um, exactly. I, mean, I think in the eternal perspective, it's fair, but mortality is incredibly wounding, unfair, difficult. And the plan of salvation gives us hope and perspective, but doesn't take away the pain and the trauma of what's happened to you. Now, here's a question: Since I know your husband a little bit, and he probably hasn't been perfect in this space, but he. This is sort of a question, okay, so what does the spouse do to comfort you? So, you know, this is you talking to, if I'm phrasing this question correctly, there's the, there in a marriage, there's one that's lost their dad, and then there's one that's trying to to help that person, and yeah. they don't really have a tool book on exactly how to do that, and I'm, I'm assuming Coleman wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect, but... What advice do you have, or what things did Coleman do that were effective, or advice you have for spouses trying to comfort their own spouse as they're dealing with a traumatic death?
1: That's good. Um well, the first thing that comes to my mind is he let me cry a lot. And I look back and I think, I'm so sorry.
0: Uh, he let you, know, you cry a lot. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, because there was there's so many triggering things, right? Like we had to go take our engagement photos like two weeks after my dad had passed, that was zero fun. But I tried, but I remember like he let me be sad when there were happy moments and he was okay with it. And that must've been really hard for Coleman because he knows me as a happy person. And I think we want to fix people. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Like we're going to, this is going to be so much fun. You're going to love this. Like the wedding day is going to be great. Yada, yada. But Coleman allowed me to be sad and to feel all that emotion, which is like, he has so much patience because I think when you're with someone, you just want them to be happy. Right. That's me. This is going to be fun. Right. But he let me, and he allowed me to feel that emotion. And I'm lucky, but Coleman actually knew my dad. So he got to meet my dad. So I think he allowed, you know, himself to open up and he would share stories. I'm like, my dad told you that? Yeah. He told me that. I'm like, wow. I didn't know my dad was open to you in that way, but sharing stories with me and Coleman remembers the dates as well, but he he can tell, I think when I'm having an off day and he'll just say, Hey, what's going on? And I, all I have to say is like, I just miss my dad. And that's all, you know, and Coleman just knows, okay, we're just going to feel this emotion and, you know, hugs me and holds me. And, and that's really comforting.
0: Um, I love that. <laughs> um, those aren't really complicated. They may not come naturally for us, Men in particular, but maybe all of us, is to just do the things that Coleman did, allowed you to be sad. Yeah. And we're fixing, we want to make people happy, but I recognize and that it, it's okay to be sad. It's a normal human emotion.
1: Yeah, and I think he was willing, though, to recognize, okay, this is who she is now. And we can become greater because of it. And so I think he... Realize our life was going to change forever. Right. And she's never going to be the same, nor should she be the same. And that was helpful.
0: Okay. But that, he's all that, oh, sorry. That was one of the best things anybody's ever said in a segment. That was just for <laughs> me anyway. That was an aha moment. That <laughs> I want to rewind what you just said, but we can become greater because of it. Yeah. And I love the way that both of you Look at this incredibly tragic experience because I think it's the way Daryl would look at. Want you to look at it is that we can become greater because of it. We're not trying to put this behind us. We're not trying to ex- pretend Dad didn't die and go along with our lives like they would be if he didn't die. But your what you just said is really powerful, and you're doing that because here you are starting this Instagram account and helping other people, being on this podcast, and I would guess as you have kids and. <laughs> And just your circle increases, if that's, you know, I don't want to assume you're not, I may assume you're having kids, but I realize I don't want to project that on anybody.
1: No. One day. One yes, day absolutely. one day is a good
0: answer. That absolutely. You will be able to just bless other people's lives mm-hmm. in a unique way. Now, yeah, you'd rather have your father back, I'm sure, if you were choosing those two, absolutely. But that was a really thoughtful thing you just said.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
0: Now, another question is, You've five years and you've kind of answered this, but if you could go back to the very first night when your dad died and talk to your younger self, that's roughly five years younger, and you could just walk into the room with her alone as your older self talking to your younger self. Well, and this is you talking to people that that night's happening right now. What would you say?
1: Um, I think I would definitely, it goes back, definitely say going back to someone else reaching out to me and feeling like I was going to be okay and I was going to live and that's the one thing i would say like this is hard right now yes but you are going to like be alive in the next 5 years you'll live life even though it'll be hard and you'll still live and you will laugh and feel every emotion that you've ever felt good and bad or sad, but you'll feel all these emotions still and that you'll still be alive and you'll still live life to its fullest.
0: Love that. Anything else you'd like to share with us, Alexa?
1: Um. Wow. No, my mind, I guess is blank. <laughs> <laughs> I think to end just... When you're in doubt about anything that anyone else is going through, just reach out to them. Even if you don't know what to say, say that, I don't know what to say, but I'm so sorry. I think that has been the most meaningful to me, you know, or I am thinking of you and that's it.
0: That is terrific. Well, Alexa Norton, um... Thank you for being in on the podcast and sharing the story. It honors your dad, Daryl. I've been looking at this picture on your blog, the whole podcast, this one right here. I, That's him. And he's in a suit and tie. He's not in a ski. And hes you've got all these pictures of him. This is a great, you know, a great dad. And um, I'm sorry he's gone. But what you're doing honors him and it honors his life and helps others. You're the wounded healer. We, we talk about that concept a lot on the podcast where the great alluders to leadership is that others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. So yeah. you know this desert, it's a desert you wouldn't invite anybody on. You don't want to be on it, but you're a wounded healer with your Instagram account, your podcast and your life ministry to help others. And so please check out listeners at grief shine. That's a pretty simple. Instagram account. Way to find that one before someone else claimed it. That Um Well done. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And, and um, thank you, Alexa Norton, for being on the podcast. So this is Alexa Norton and Richard Osler. And Daryl, we hope you've been joining with us. We sort of invite these people that have been gone to be with us on the podcast. We hope we've honored you. I think your daughter has done a great job of honoring you and what she's doing. And you're a good wife that you're separated from, Carla, and your other three daughters and extended family. And so this is, um, we're signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.